This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. How's everybody doing today? My name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here. It's so good to have you with us today. We're uh, kicking off a new series. It's called I Quit. And if you've been around, let me just kind of uh, confirm a suspicion that you might have. All right, we, we kind of save uh, the best for the summer. All right, we, we do. We, we, we plan for the summer by God's grace. Every year we've grown during the summer. Isn't that weird that a church would grow during the middle of the summer? But we, we're kicking off a new series. We're going to be in this for four weeks, right? And then, then just to kind of let you know where we're going, all right, uh, then we're going to go to a series that we've done a few times called At the Movies. All right, we'll do that in, in the month of July. And then you guys will get to vote on the sermon series that we've done over the last year. And then we'll bring the top four vote-getters back in August for a series that we call The Best Of. All right, so we bring them back and revisit those message series. Got a little twist that we're going to throw on that one this year. So we're getting ready to start a, a series today called I Quit. And I believe that this is going to be a profound, profound series for us. As I was preparing uh, for this message, I heard a story that I think communicates where many of us are today. In the late 1970s, Robert Davis, who was an officer in the New York, or not New York City, in the New Orleans City Police Department, he was an officer decided that he would do something that was outside the boundaries of the law. He um, was tailing a car based on the license plate. He knew that the person inside the car was a young woman who had been indicted on a felony who was running from the felony charge. So he made the decision that he would offer her a deal when he pulled her over, that if she would do something for him, I won't go into what that something was. He would let her off the hook. So he did, and he pulled her over. And after the deed was done and she drove away, she drove straight downtown to the police department and went to Eternal Affairs and made a plea deal to turn over this police officer that had just done this to her in an arrangement to get out of what she had been convicted of. All right? So... He was brought in in just a few hours, and he's awaiting the arraignment. See, at this point in time, you might think that Robert Davis was a, a horrible criminal. You might look at and let your picture of him be that, that he was just, just a, a police officer that was abusing power. But in his first week, right out of the police academy, he had witnessed multiple abuses of power, and he went to the, the chief of police, had, had arranged a meeting, and said, here is a written document, documenting what I've seen over the last week. There is corruption everywhere. I can't be a part of this. And the police chief said to him, I, 
I will press charges on the stuff that you've just given me. But I want you to understand something. If I do that, you will no longer be safe in this city. So do you want me to go through with it? And he said, no. And in his words, he said, I figured if you can't beat them, you might as well join them. So in the late 1970s, when a police officer was arrested, they were not held in a separate facility. They were actually placed into general population. And so he knew as he was waiting, awaiting trial, that they were going to have to move him from a holding facility to a, a long-term facility. And having been a part of those transfers, Officer Davis knew where the weak links were. Knowing that if he went into general population, maybe even being in a cell with someone that he was a part of their arrest, he knew that torture, beatings, probably even being killed was in his future. So he made the decision, I'm going to escape. So when he came to that moment during his transfer where the Weak link was he overcame an officer, stole his firearm, and ran away. And for the next 25 years, evaded capture. He lived as a wild man in the wilderness in the northern part of Canada, having escaped all civilization. Venturing times down during the winter months into the northern part of the United States. And I think that maybe today, many of us in this room right now are exactly where he was. We've been running. We've been running. God has pointed out, this is life. I've invited you into this life. And we looked at it, and we knew it was God, and we said, no, I'm going to run from that. And I believe that during this series, there's going to be some of you that in years to come, you're going to look back and you're going to say, do you guys remember when we did a, I quit? Do you remember? That was the moment God changed my life. You're going to look back and say, God did something in me during that series that I could have never imagined him doing. But then there are some of you that are going to start doing something right now that can rob you of the life that God wants to give you. You're going to start running from the reality that God has invited you into. You're going to do that by making excuses. And excuses will rob you of the life that God wants to give you. We actually see this illustrated in a parable that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 14. Let me just set this up for you. Jesus is talking about the invitation that God has given us into a life that we could never earn, right? That we could never have, have a, obtained on our own. God, Jesus has given us that invitation. And so he tells this story about a rich man who's having a party. I'm just going to read it for you. Luke 14, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. 
At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come. All right, so let's just think about this with me. He's already sent out to save the dates. Y'all, we're going to have a pig picking. It's going to be fun, right? I'm going to have every kind of barbecue sauce you can imagine. It's going to be the best barbecue you've ever put in your mouth, right? All your beverages on me, right? All the sides on me. We're going to have a party, right? They already had to save the date. The date was already in their phone on their calendar. It was already on the the refrigerator pinned with one of those ugly magnets we all have, right? It was already there. And then he sent out a servant. Hey, it's the day, so come. For everyone, everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. They began to make excuses. See, Jesus is not just talking about a party. I mean, he's telling a story to illustrate a truth. And the truth is that God has created a life that's much better than we could ever earn on our own. We could ever create on our own. And, and here he is. God has invited us. And what, when, the, when the invitation comes and the, the moment comes to decide to step into the reality that God wants for us, what do we do? We just step back and make excuses. In the story that Jesus tells, some of the excuses are, are, are they're like legitimate. You go, yeah, well, I'd probably make that excuse. There's a dude who's like, hey, I, I, I got married, and uh, I'm, I'm going to stay at home tonight because <laughs> I got married, and now I get to, you know, tonight. So I'm going to do that tonight. I'm not coming to your party, right, which we all go, that, that makes sense. Yeah, you stay at home, right? <laughs> Then there's the guy who's like, um, I just bought a field, and I'm, I'm going to go look at my field. <laughs> what? Really? Like, if someone gives you that excuse, you know. Like, that's just an excuse. You don't want to come to my party, right? And somebody said, hey, I just bought a, bought a team of oxen, and so tonight I want to I kind of, instead of coming to your party, I'm going to try out my team of oxen, right? Which for Stanley County, that means they just got a new tractor right? And they want to go, like, I don't need to plow the field, but I want to go try out my tractor, so I'm just going to go bush hog for a little while, right? I don't need to, but I'm going to do it for a little while. See, some of those excuses seem legitimate. Some of them seem like they're just excuses to get, but here's the thing. Every person who made an excuse missed out on the party. And so the Wealthy man that's thrown the party as Jesus begins to continue actually sends out his servant and says, I don't care who you find. Find find the hungry, find the homeless, bring them, we'll have a party. See, that's the kingdom of God. It's for those of us who who want to go after it, right? We, We want this thing that God has invited us into. And I think that for all of us in the room today, There's something right now that you want for yourself. As a matter of fact, that's the first thing in your notes today. So I want you to look at that with me. Fill in this blank with me. I would like blank to be different about myself. I would like blank to be different about myself. Maybe today you might be like me and you might say, hey, I would like my my weight to be different about myself. I want to get, I got a favorite pair of jeans that I'd like to get in. I can't get in them things anymore, right? Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you're, you would like your checkbook 
to be different. Your checking account balance to be different about you. Maybe you would like the way you spend your time to be different. But for all of you right now, there's probably something that you go, I would like this to be different. And I want you to understand something about different. There's a problem with different. You may, you may not even have even thought this through before, right? And, and, and here's the problem with, with New Year's resolutions. You know, about, about six months ago, y'all were all saying, I'm going to lose some weight. Right, I'm going to get in them skinny jeans again. Right, Y'all are all saying that. And then statistically, right now in June, only about 30% of y'all are sticking with it. All right? Here's the problem with different. Different always involves change. Different always involves change. It's impossible to say I want to live a different life and not change. And see, our motivation inside the context of the change, well, that matters. And most of us start out with change, with, with good intentions, right? There's, it's a good thing to say, I want to I get a little healthier. I want to lose a little weight. I want to get into those genes that I haven't been able to fit into in a couple years. That's a good thing, right? It's a good thing to say, I want a healthier marriage, right? It's a good thing to say, I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better mom. Right? It's a good thing to say, I want to manage my finances better. But let me tell you something about good intentions. The reason that only 30% of you have stuck to your resolutions and that by the, on, by the end of the year, only about 7% will stick to a New Year's resolution, the problem with it is that good intentions are self-centered. They're what I want for me. I mean, I want to get into those genes. All right, I, I want to lose some, I, this, is, this is what I want for me. But here's, here's what I want for you. I don't want you to live life with good intentions. I want you to live life with God intentions. I want you to get a glimpse of what God wants for your life. See, because when we have God intentions, the motivation all of a sudden begins to shift a little bit. Because now my motivation is no longer self-motivated, it's God-centered. Because it's God's intention for my life. So that brings us to two important questions that if you're going to take the next step, you need to answer these questions honestly today. All right, so I want you to think about this with me. The first question is this. What does God want to be different about my life? As a matter of fact, we're going to be so honest about this. We're going to take a moment right now. I want everyone to take a moment. And in your notes today, I want you to write it out. All right, don't look and see what your neighbor's writing. You can look and see if they're writing, though. And if they're not writing anything, just kind of poke them and say, I didn't know I was sitting next to Jesus. Right? So glad I get to sit next to Jesus today. You don't have anything that God wants to change about you. Right? What does God want to change in your life? What does God want to change? Your life. What do you know that as you've sensed God calling you in your life? 
Where has been the greatest sense of tension that you know, like if this tension could have some sort of resolution, man, man it would, I, I know that it would dramatically change my life. What, what has God communicated to you? God's called you. He spoke to you. I want you to be a better dad, husband, right? What has God called you to do? What does God want to be different about my life? See, the what question is really important. But the second question in your notes is, I think, more important. It's this. Why does God want that to be different? Why? See, I think that sometimes the what without the why is it's incomplete. Let me just give you some examples. Let's go to things we just talked about. Maybe some of you would say, I feel like God wants me to get healthier. I, want, I, I, feel, that's, I think God wants me to be healthier. Let me just tell you that if your motivation to be healthier is I want to get in that pair of jeans that I can't get into anymore, that is a good intention, but that's a self-centered intention. But if God wants you to be healthier, all right, the why that he wants you to be healthier is because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And you need to treat the temple of the Holy Spirit the way that you would want to respect and honor God. See, why matters. See, if you look at your bank account and your finances in every month, you have, you have too much month, not enough money, right? And you feel like God is saying, I, I want you to be healthier financially. And every month, you, you keep going after it. Like, I, I want to do this right. But you don't understand why God wants that for you. You don't understand that, that God wants you to see, I will provide for all of your needs. You don't understand that God wants you to experience peace in that area. You don't understand that God wants you to be able to give generously to impact the kingdom of God. You don't see all of that because all you're doing is focused on the what. I just need, I need to get all this right. Well, if you don't understand why, the motivation, the intentions will always be off. We, in, we just need to connect what God's doing to why God's doing it in our life. You see, for most of you, Y'all listen to this. For, for most of you, the first question and the second question, the what do you want and what does God want for you? Well, for most of you, they're connected, aren't they? So let me just say this to you. If God wants it for you, and you want it for yourself, stop making excuses. If, if God wants it for you, and you 
want it for yourself. Stop making excuses. See, I think that we need to understand that when we approach God and say, God, I realize that you want this for me, but, but I, I can't because. The I can't because never talks about us. It never talks about me. It actually is something that we're communicating to God about himself. God, I, I just don't think you can do that. And I want to free some of you up today to understand this, that when God calls you to do it, you can do it. Romans 8.31 says this, that if God is for us, who can be against us? And we often think of that verse, right? We think of that in light of enemies, the, the resistance that we face in life, people who may have, have talked badly about us, maybe people who have treated us badly. But let me just understand that maybe the most significant enemy that you'll ever face in your life that's going to stand in between you and the life that God wants for you is you. It's you. And I think that we need to be reminded today that if, if God is for us, who can, even I can't be against him. And we see this come to light in Exodus 4 as God begins to move to bring his people out of slavery in Egypt. In Exodus 4, we find a guy named Moses, just to kind of catch you up to the story. Moses was a, a, the, the son of a Hebrew slave, and, and during his, his birth time, there was a massive execution of young boys among the slaves. To save him, his mother put him in a raft, sent him down river, and just by the providence of God, the daughter of Pharaoh, the daughter of the king of Egypt, found him in the river, took him in, made him like her son, raised him. Moses, a Hebrew slave, grew up in the palace of the king. And when he finally one day learned that he was ethnically a Hebrew, he walked outside to witness the beating of a Hebrew slave by, by an Egyptian slave master, was so furious about it that he executed that guy on the spot. All right. So then Moses ran for his life, fearful that he would also be killed or tried, and spent years in the desert until God shows up in Exodus chapter 4. Now, God shows up in one of those moments. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's a freaky moment. We, if you're a Christian, right, and you've heard this story before, you read this and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what happened. But let's just think about it with new, new ears, new eyes. Let's let our minds go there. God shows up in a burning bush to talk to Moses. I'm just going to be honest with you. If I were walking in the, the woods one day and I came upon a a bush that was burning, and it started talking to me, I might pee my pants. A, just a little, just a little bit, all right? And, and that's, I mean, that's what happens in Exodus 4. And God speaks to Moses, and he says, I, I'm going to take you, Moses, and I'm going to send you back to Egypt to free my people. Think about that. Now, I don't know about you, but some of us might just go, oh, yeah, well, I grew up in the, oh, I, God, I see what you were doing. 
I see you had a you had this all yeah, but this is how Moses responds to it. Look at Exodus four ten. Moses pleaded with the Lord, Oh, oh Lord, I'm not I'm not I'm not very good with, with words. I've never I've I've never been and I'm and I'm not now even though even though you you've spoken to me I get I get tongue tied and my my wor- my words get tangled. Moses said, God, I I realized that you just showed up in a burning bush and that I probably know everything that's happened in my life up to now, but but you can't do this in me. You, you can't do this in me. And I want you to know something today. That God loves you so much that he is never going to invite you to do something for him that you can do alone. He's never going to do that. And Moses has come face to face with his inadequacy. And far too many of us have stood right in front of our, our inadequacies and we've said, God, I, I see what you're trying to tell me I could do and I know who I am and I know I can't do that. I can't. So watch how the Lord responds to him. Exodus 4, verse 11. So the Lord asked Moses, who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak? Hear or do not hear? See or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? You see, God is reminding Moses of something. Moses, I understand that you can't speak. I made your mouth. And I want to suggest something to you today that maybe in life when God is looking for those that he can use, God's not looking for those who are overly qualified. He's looking for those who are willing to let him work in the middle, in the midst of their inadequacies. Perhaps our inadequacy is what the Lord wants the most. Because in the middle of our inadequacy, His sufficiency shines through. And when God calls us to do something that we could never do on our own, when it actually happens, people stand back and go, man, I knew that guy. There's there's no way that he could do that. That has to be the Lord. Can I just share something? It's a small fact that I was reminded of this week involuntarily, I might add, um, that when I graduated from high school, my GPA was a 2.2. That's, that's like a, a D plus, just in case you were wondering. All right? I was so terrified of standing in front of people and speaking that I took a zero on a project that was a third of a nine-weeks grade when I was a senior in high school. I can tell you that if you were my friend back now, back in those days and you looked at what God's doing right now, you'd sit back and go, that's the Lord. 
Because he couldn't have done that on his own. <laughs> right? You would be doing that. And I want you to understand today that perhaps in your life, your inadequacy is maybe what the Lord wants the most. See, I think that sometimes when we are honest about the things that we're inadequate about, instead of talking about ourselves, when we make excuses, we're actually talking about God. We say, God, you can't do this. You know, God, you know I can't speak very well. God, well, you know I'm not very organized and I'm not, I'm not the person that has it all together, God. God, you know that I'm not the person that is good with money. God, you know that I'm not the person that can stand in front of everybody and speak. When we say that, what we're really saying is, God, you're not big enough. But look at what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah 32, recording the voice of the Lord. I am the Lord, the God of all the peoples of the world. Is anything too hard for me? And I'm afraid that some of you have been running from the life that God wants to give you because you've been looking at him and saying, God, it's too hard for you. You're not big enough to do this. I know me. God, I know me. I know that I'm not naturally this way. I know that I'm not good at this. And you're just sitting in the same place Moses was. On the precipice of entering a life that he could have never imagined for himself. If Moses' life ends right before the burning bush, he's an afterthought in history. But what God did through him after that changed the course of the world. And I've got a feeling that there are some of us that are sitting in this room that God has some significant things that he wants to do through you. And all we have to do is do exactly what God does with Moses. Let's watch that. Exodus 4, 12. Now God continuing to speak to Moses, he says this. Now go, I will be with you as you speak and I will instruct you in what to say. Moses, I know you're not a very good speaker. I made your mouth. But go. And I'll be with you. So I'm going to give you two steps to stop making excuses right out of that one simple verse. All right. The first one is that you need to learn to do what you can do. Do what you can do. Y'all listen to this. This is important. Delayed obedience is disobedience. I'm going to say that again. Delayed obedience is disobedience. If God has spoken to you and said, I want this for your life, and you're sitting back going, all right, God, whenever you give me the tools that I need, whenever the money magically shows up in my bank account to do it, God, whenever you magically take that fear away, 
When, God, whatever, I'll go then. You know what God could have done? God could have said, Moses, I made your mouth. It's healed in the name of Jesus. Now go. But he didn't. And as a matter of fact, I think there's a little lesson in that. See, in the verse it says, what first? It says, go. You need to do what you can do first. Yesterday I saw my son in the morning trying to help my wife wash some dishes. I, I was just say trying to help, right? He was really excited about the bubbles, right? He was so excited that there were bubbles and water that came out of everywhere. He was just thrilled. And I sat back and watched it, and, and my heart was moved as a dad. And it reminded me of this point that I don't think God expects us to have it all figured out. But he does expect us to respond. And then at times when we look back in life, we look at, I didn't know anything right then. But do you, really, do, you, do you look back at any point in life and not think that? So that means at some point later in your life, you're going to look back to right now and go, I was foolish then. So why stop yourself right now? Because you don't have it figured out. Go for it. You take the next step. And listen, in, in that, that verse, God says, if you go, I will be with you when you speak. You go. You go. I'm, I gave you this mouth that can't say things right. But you go. I'm going to be with you. See, there are some things we can do. And number two, we need to trust God to do what you cannot do. If you're here today and you're the dad that says, I, I want to be a better dad. I'm not spending enough time with my kids. Can I just tell you that you don't need to wait until Jesus magically frees up your schedule. This week, you need to find time to spend with your kids. If you're here and you're the person that says, God, God wants me to be more financially disciplined so that I can impact the kingdom of God by being generous. If you're that person that's here today, don't wait until God gives you more money. You need a budget now. All right, if you're the couple that says, we, we need a stronger marriage. Like, we, we need a stronger marriage. We need to be closer, more intimate. Then you need to start spending a long time together now. You make the first move, and what happens is, is that God does the stuff you can't. God does what you can't because you can never heal hearts. You can't do that. So if there's tension and hurt between two people, but God can. I mean, God promises that if we'll be smart about our finances, if we'll create a budget, give 10% to him, live, you know, in the right way off the 90%, that God's going to bless that 90%, right? God's going to show up and do what you can't do. But you've got to make that move. 
In the mid-2000s, Robert Davis was camped in Vermont. Miles and miles away from civilization. And one night he heard a rustling through the woods and he realized that someone was approaching his camp. So he got his gun out, approached the stranger, found out that it was another escaped convict. He brought him into his camp and they sat down during the evening. He explained to him, all right, this is your first night out. I want you to understand what this is going to be like. This is what the last 25 years has been like for me. You're going to live off wild game. You're going to have to catch it, cook it. No more forks, no more toenail clippers, right? Life is going to be very different. The next morning, that escaped convict got up and went and turned himself in because he was so scared of living that way. And it got Mr. Davis thinking, maybe the way I've been living isn't living at all. Maybe I've just been running. So he packed up his camp and he hitchhiked to New Orleans. And he walked straight into the magistrate's office and said, my name is Robert Davis. You've been looking for me for 25 years. And the little lady behind the desk went and punched his name into it and said, sir, we're not looking for you. Your name's not in this database. He said, you know, at that moment I had a decision to make. I could continue running and not living. Or I could stop making excuses and face what I'd done and really live. And he said, ma'am, I promise you you're looking for me. As a matter of fact, I, I, I escaped well before you ever had computer systems. The records are probably across the, the street in the basement of the courthouse. I'll take you over there and show you where they are myself. So he did. He walked the magistrate judge across the street, walked into the basement, into the place where the records were kept, and they found the record, and sure enough, he was wanted. So they arrested him on the spot. The trial was arranged very quickly because of the situation. Mr. Davis, who had been running for 25 years, was given a trial with a judge, a female judge, who was known for trying cases that had to do with males who had abused their power with females. And she had been very harsh. And he was expecting, as he went into trial, to get a very long sentence and most likely spend the rest of his life in jail. So as the court proceedings opened, The accounts of what he had done were read off. He stood there, ashamed, embarrassed from something that he had ran from for years. And the judge, after the charges were read, looked at him and said, how do you plead? And he said, ma'am, I'm guilty. Not just guilty of those, I'm, I'm guilty of countless other things that you don't even know about. He began to explain how during the time that he ran, he felt nothing but shame and felt alone, 
And as he finished, the judge looked at him. And she said, Mr. Davis, you've been running from life for 25 years. I think you served your sentence. Court adjourned. And in that moment, he was a free man. It's my prayer that for those of you that have been making excuses and running from God, that today you'll choose living instead of running. And that you'll stand before a God who is much more just than her because the punishment for your crimes have already been paid. And that you'll accept the life and an invitation into a life that you could never have paid for on your own. Let's pray. God, today, we just thank you that you've paid the price for us to live the way you want us to. That you've invited us into a life that we could never have earned. So God, thank you for that invitation. For those of us who have been running making excuses, not living the life that we know you have called us to live. God, we ask that today you would forgive us and free us from that trap. God, there are many of us that are here today that have been doing that. So God, let this be the moment that we stop making excuses. So with nobody looking around, all eyes closed, everybody being still, let me just ask you today. you're here and you know you've been running from something that God wants for you. You've been making excuses. Maybe the excuse feels like it's a legitimate excuse. Maybe you know it's not even. But maybe today you know that God wants something for you that you never could have dreamed for yourself. Maybe today it's a time to stop making excuses. Maybe you're like the man that we heard about today. Maybe today you're like Robert Davis. You know that you've failed God. You've been running from God. And the life that you've had of making excuses and running, it's not really life at all. Maybe today's the day that you decide to turn yourself in. If that's you, and you're tired of making excuses, you're tired of living a life that is less than what God wants for you, and you want to say today, no more excuses. God, you want it for me. I want it for me. I'm going after it. Raise your hand if that's you right now. No more excuses. No more excuses. In the name of God, we pray. God, thank you for the ability to step into that life today. God, we ask that for those of us that have been running, you would give us the strength to turn ourselves in and live your life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.